Blog Talk Radio. everyone and welcome to the Pet Place Radio Show. I'm your host Marie Hewitt and I hope you all are enjoying this beautiful Labor Day weekend. If you haven't already made plans, this is a great time to visit the Moon Ridge Animal Park up in Big Bear and this morning Bill Treadwell will be joining us to tell us all the exciting happenings in store for this very special sanctuary for alpine wildlife. Then after our halftime break, Betsy Saul of PetFinder.com has sad news about the Gulf oil spill and the impact it's had on pet adoption and pet relinquishments. This is important stuff, so please stay tuned for a very informative discussion here on the Pet Place Radio Show on Retro 1260. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Place Radio Show on Retro 1260. I'm Marie Hewitt, and it is my pleasure to introduce one of the hardest-working volunteers in wildlife rescue, rehabilitation, and sanctuary services. It's Bill Treadwell from Friends of the Moon Ridge Animal Park. Welcome to the show, Bill. Well, thank you. It's really a pleasure to be here and to be able to talk to your listeners out there and to share our story. Yeah, well, you know, we met way back when... The Pet Place TV show needed a little special insert uh, to show some of the wildlife uh, rescue things that were going on, and, and you did a terrific job during that segment. And oh, thank you. From that point on, I started running into you all the time. Well, almost all the time. <laughs> you helped us out on some of our special events up there, in particular coming up and doing some photo work and producing a couple of shows for us on a Native American Arts Festival that we 
hold every year in August. Why do you have a Native American Arts Festival at the zoo? <laughs> in the zoo. Actually, in the it's zoo. inside. In the you know, the, the vendors come and set up. It's a, an interesting way of working with the Native American community to bring them and endear us to the Native Amer- to the Moon Ridge Animal Park. And the reason why we want to endear them to the park is because we're planning to build a new park. And in building the new park and expanding to give more elbow room for all our animals that can't be released back into nature, is that we want to be able to have a way of telling the story of Big Bear itself. So what we want to do is create buildings and building structures that tell the history of the valley. And very critical of that history story or historic story is the Serranos. They are the natives up there in the sense of the Native Americans that were there in the first place. And they were known as a host tribe in the sense of they actually hosted people from the desert side to the the ocean side and, and made uh, commerce available back in those days in a sense. So I kind of like to see and have an objective to bring that back in a sense of allowing the Serrano to, again to be a host tribe up there and allow them to then bring other, other tribes up and share their cultures and it's a way to uh, share the wisdom of uh, nature the way they saw it in their day and their day today too. And the Native American people have such a respect and value of the earth and of nature and of the environment. I love hearing all the stories that they tell and uh-huh. and listening to their music. It's just fabulous. Oh, the flute fabulous. music is just mellow. The flute music there is amazing. Uh, Carlos Ronosa has come every year except for one, and he comes at no cost. He's a volunteer thing. And when he starts playing music, the animals start relaxing and stretching out. It's amazing the connection between music and animals and how things are really relate there. Wow. It's, it's something else. That's wonderful. Yeah. You know, we should talk about the Moon Ridge Animal Park. As an entity, it it came to being in the 1950s, right? Well, actually, it's one of the oldest wildlife sanctuaries in the state of California. We just this year are celebrating 50 years. Wow. So it does have a staying power, and it was founded on... Uh, following up a big fire up in the, in the mountains there and rescuing animals and taking care of them. And that began the sanctuary. You know, it's a rehabilitation center. It's a licensed center up there. It still has that as main function. Why we exist is that fish and game and wildlife folks bring wounded alpine animals to us. We want to mend and release. Those that we can't, we have the tagline, home for life. We'll okay. take care of the animals for the rest of their life there if they can't be released. That, in turn, allows us to have a park to share with the public. And sharing with the public, there's an opportunity for them then, now, to hear their stories about the animals and maybe a little more attuned to what's going on in the real world out there. Because these animals come to us mostly because they're impacted by us as civilized people, supposedly, (laughs) (laughs) causing issues in their habitat. (laughs) Yeah, civilized, that's a little bit of a question mark. (laughs) Big question mark. Yeah. Well, in the sense of the harmony we're talking about and since what the Native Americans look at, you know, I wouldn't say they're necessarily harmonious. They were actually migrate from one area to another, so they would use nature up quite a bit in that spot, move to another spot to allow nature to re-nourish herself. Okay. So in a sense of where they were, it's like they had the wisdom to move on, and here we do. We build our caves, you know, our houses, and we stabilize ourselves here, and then we devastate what's around us. That's true. Unless, yeah. Or unless we plant our own trees and grass. <laughs> <laughs> and it makes it so hard for the local wildlife, too. Here in, in the city areas, even, we have plenty of wildlife. There are coyotes, raccoons, opossums, skunks, birds of prey, yeah. you name it. We've got pretty much everything here. Well, actually, you don't have the grizzly bears and the black bears on the inner part of the city, maybe well, on the fringes, you that's know. That's <laughs> Well, unfortunately, here in California, our, our actual mascot, the grizzly bear, disappeared at the turn of yeah, the 20th century, yeah, exactly. roughly, yeah. or, or, because we yeah. hunted them to extinction. Mm-hmm. That's the same thing that happened in the Big Bear area. You know, it was known for the grizzly bears, and why it's called Big Bear is because of the grizzlies. 
But back during the uh, gold rush, we had the second gold rush actually in the San Bernardino Mountains in the valley next door, door to us. It's called the Holcomb Valley. And uh, during that gold rush time, they went out in massive quantities of grizzlies did in the sense of being shot. And, and, and well, they were huge trophies for the hunters, yeah. bragging rights. I shot this big old <laughs> grizzly bear. Yeah. There's a, a very cool Larson cartoon that kind of pokes fun at, at the hunters yeah. where they show a hunter who's getting ready to, to shoot a grizzly bear, and in real life the bear looked all peaceful and sweet. And, yeah. and after he shot the bear in the very next frame in the Larson cartoon, they show him the grizzly bear standing in this ferocious pose and the hunter all Well, that's the Teddy Roosevelt pose and the grizzlies he got back in the Yellowstone days, you know, mm-hmm. when he started the parks. It's yeah. really sad. It's very, very frustrating because for the most part, the animals are just minding their own business and living their life peacefully. And, and as soon as people have any kind of contact with them, they want them dead. Yeah. Well, actually, one of the uh, ripple effects about the grizzlies leaving Big Bear area is that they actually brought in black bears. Mm-hmm. And so black bears have actually kind of filled that niche a bit. They're not as aggressive necessarily as the grizzlies have been, but they are in that niche now, and they do kind of fill that, that spot up. You know, one yeah. thing I love about the Moon Ridge Animal Park is they have the animals there that the other zoos don't want. Other zoos want the glamorous animals like tigers and lions. Well, yeah. we're, we're local alpine. We're not mm-hmm. at the exotics with the giraffes and, and things of that like that. And yeah. I think that's great because it really presents an educational opportunity for the visiting public. Mm-hmm to find out about their local wildlife. That's right, what's happening in the local mountains. Yeah. And you have some, some great uh, people up there to, to provide that education. Yes, we do have some great workers there in, in the park. We also, as the nonprofit side of the park, have a lot of volunteers that do docent tours and do roamers and talk with the community, the people come in. A lot of people come in the park when they're leaving and they go, wow, I actually saw the animals. If I go like to San Diego, or even some people said to me last weekend at the Native American Arts Festival at the L.A. Zoo, it's, you know, it's kind of hard to see the animals sometimes, but here they're right in your face. And that's because it's such a small, dated park, and that's why we need to move on, is to make it larger and embellish a more exhibit area for the animals that we live in. And also, there's just more animals are coming towards us now. Well, I but, suspect there are. You get lots uh, of animals in, in some pretty sad cases. For uh, example, yes. you have your, your mountain lions. How did they end up getting there? Well, actually, uh, there's a rancher up in Northern California that shot the mother. And when the uh, Fish and Game folks checked her out, she was lactating. So they knew she had cubs. So they backtracked her and found the cubs. And so uh, the cubs came to us with their eyes closed. So they became, you know, part of our collection. We actually took them out for a while and to people to see them while they were still small until mm-hmm. they got so big and powerful as they are now. I got to play but with them when they were still cubs. But they're exactly, they're imprinted, though. That's the whole issue. You can't mm-hmm. let an imprinted animal out. You know, they'll come up and want to lick your hand. Well, you'd be scared to death to have a mountain lion do that, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's their permanent yeah. residence yeah. now. And another interesting angle, too, you know, sense of we're talking about the wild side of the pet world, you know, in the sense of the pets have the dogs and the, and the cats. Well, in our animal park, we have... The cats, we have the bobcats and the mountain lions and a, a Canadian lynx, and we even have a rather fantastic animals called the snow leopard, which is a, very, it's a highly endangered species right now. There's maybe a couple hundred, maybe 300 left in the world. Oh, my goodness. And we have one in our park. And it's actually, he's a retired stud of all things. There is a program called the Species Survival Program 
by the American Zoological Association. It was kind of like an overseeing organization over zoological projects and trying to maintain habitats and animals and all that. So anyway, we have him through that program at our park, and he's a retired stud because they have to be careful about the genetic pool and having him spread too many genes within the limited pool available. So we are involved at that level, too, in a sense of helping uh, the survival of species. So it's not that we're just there as a rehab to try to release animals. We're also there to help sustain. That's fabulous. And you also make room for animals that have been kept illegally as pets, wild animals. Yes. Uh, the, the, there's a lot of state laws here about what you can have and cannot have in your in your home. And that we have a serval cat there and some Cotamundis that have been confiscated as pets. Okay. That we have. And they're not necessarily native to our zone, but we were only people local enough to handle that, so that they brought them to us. Okay. Yeah. And then how about your wolves that you have there? Oh, my. Uh, <laughs> about about a year and a half ago, we had a nine-year-old mother wolf. And I have a hard time saying the singular. I say wolf like the bark rather than <laughs> the L in there some way or another. So I tend to try to say wolves instead of wolf. Anyway, she actually surprised us by having a litter of nine pups. Wow. And nine-year-old, I mean, you take nine, what they say, nine times seven is how old she was, you mm-hmm. know, 63 years old for her to surprise us with a litter of nine. They all actually ended up surviving and uh, still are alive. Mm-hmm. We've had to re, uh, actually build another uh, exhibit area to handle the size. Wow. They're all there. Right now, they're now starting to see who's alpha male. Uh-oh. So it's kind of an interesting situation, oh and we don't know if we're going to be able to ma- maintain the population there or have to split them up or maybe send them off to another park somewhere because of uh, the way they you know, they do their own thing. You know, mm-hmm. I'm boss here, and you get out of my whole face, will you? Yeah, so, boom, you know, we help separate that if that happens. Yeah, definitely. So, but the mom and pop, they're next door, and you know, we can't really mix the two together right now. And they're just like really metal, kind of looking over at them, and those rambunctious little pups who are actually up to my hip now mm-hmm. with giant paws. I mean, so it's amazing how fast they grow. And, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. And in nature, and you have beautiful. to. Yeah. They're yeah. absolutely beautiful animals. And then you also have some amazing birds of prey, and, and very sadly, a lot of these have sustained injuries and just can never be released mm-hmm. into the wild. Mm-hmm. Well, our first, our first bald eagle that we received years and years ago, from what I read, because I've only been with the park involved with it for maybe about eight years myself, now, and it's got a 50-year history. But the first uh, bald eagle came to us from Alaska, and it was caught in a, in a bear trap, and, oh. and its leg was all messed up. Oh. So that was the first bald eagle we had. And then we have another bald eagle just recently here that has a gunshot wound in its wing, and it can't fly. Wow. Another one we found on the side of the road, as I understand, that was partially blind, so it couldn't hunt properly, and it was under it was undernourished and all that, so we took it in and and gave it a home. And that's what you said earlier about you know maintaining the older population of animals. That gets expensive in the sense of medical care and giving them special diets to maintain their lives. And where where do you get time. the funds for all that? Well, the funds come through the gate, you know, visitors, and also the, the friends. We do fundraising programs and, and events and things. And also, you can become a member of the of the Moon Ridge Animal Park. The friends, of, our actual official name is Friends of Moon Ridge Zoo right now. You can become a member and get free entry into the park, and then about half your money, at least on the lower end, of just a single member of family members, goes back to the park directly. We'll use the other half to create programs and education things. Okay. So there is funding that way. And also there's a, within Big Bear Valley itself, there's a special tax district within Parks and Recreation, and so there's a piece of the Parks and Recreation tax money does come into the park. So there's okay. three 
three venues. And then also, as a final one, I'd like to share with everybody, we have what's known as the Nay Foundation up there. The lady, Nay Blanche, was actually a, a Friends member a long time ago. And when she passed away, she left her estate to us. Oh, and wow. And we created the Nay Foundation out of that estate by her thing. So we have, like, the supervisor of San Bernardino County on it. We have the mayor of Big Bear Lake. We have the curator of the park. And we have the president of our friends are okay. all members of that board. And the goal for that board, I should say their mission statement, is to enhance animal care. So they have like uh, about $1.5 million in that fund. It's a perpetual fund now. That money goes into the park through that avenue to help enhance animal care. That's wonderful. But even even though that sounds like a huge amount, you guys yeah. are always meeting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it gets very expensive. And then you have, you're going to be moving and you need help there. So in the short amount of time that I have you here, Tell everybody how they can get involved and help our local zoo up in the local San Bernardino Mountains. Well, the easiest way is to get on the Internet and go to our website. Uh, it's moonridgezoo.org. That's, again, it's moonridgezoo.org. And through that website, you can see how uh, we're organized. I have three things on the front page, actually four things. The first thing is the park itself, its hours and when it's open, how to get there, instructions and all that kind of stuff, and stories about some of our animals. The second part is about the Friends of the Moon Ridge Zoo. That's us. You can go in that theory and you can see how we are there uh, organized and also how you can support the park through that piece. And the third part on that front page is going into our new park. And then the final thing is that a community links at the bottom where if you want to come up and spend a weekend there, there's a link to campsites, there's a link to uh, the resort association, which can give you a, pack, a package for to stay overnight and stuff like that. Right. So and there's community links there for if you want to plan a stay. Definitely. Or just come up for the one day, you know, come up in the afternoon sure. and have it's lunch, visit us and go yeah. home and smell the fresh air, see the blue sky. You know, we have an observatory up there that's on the lake itself, and it's not there to look at the stars. It's there to look at the sun. So that gives you an idea how sunny and bright it is up there. Wow, yeah. and this is a perfect weekend to do it. <laughs> Bill, I sure appreciate you driving down the mountain to share all of this with us. Well, and I the opportunity, wish, too, yes. Yeah, I wish you and the Moon Ridge Animal Park all the best. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for being here today, and it is time now to take a very fast break, but when we return, Betsy Saul from PetFinder.com has some very sad statistics about how the Gulf oil spill is affecting pets. So keep your radio set to AM 1260 for more Pet Place Talk, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Pet Place radio show on KGIL Retro 1260. I'm Marie Hewlett, and with me now is Betsy Saul from PetFinder.com. Welcome to the Pet Place, Betsy. Thank you very much. So, first of all, I have to say, I love PetFinder.com. I tell all of my friends and everybody I know, if they ever want to adopt a pet, no matter what it is, Go to Pet Finder, put in all of your specifics about what you want, a female golden retriever within 50 miles of my house, and boom, you get a zillion results to look through. <laughs> it's right, amazing. Thank you so much for spreading the word. It is, it's, what, what's really cool about Pet Finder is that people like you, um, or people who don't even know nearly as many people as you, can, can really impact the life of a shelter animal just by spreading that word and telling people and and it it sort of grew organically you know what a surprise to us it it really has i remember when you guys were just starting because i was still working at the orange county animal shelter way back when 
and it has been such a boon for shelters and rescues to be able to post their animals and, and have a single place, a single source where people could go. And what I love the best about it is a lot of people really have a difficult time going to animal shelters and seeing the pets behind the cage bars. And when you have the chance to first see it on the website and go, oh, i got to have that one, you know, it's not so bad to head on over to the shelter and just get in, get your business done, and get your best friend. Yeah, and I think that, you know, I don't think that's only because, you know, we're weak, which we are. You know, I think also um, Petfinder allows you to be a little bit more intellectual about the lifestyle that you live and, and the pet that you're looking for because, you know, we... I think we protect the pet when that happens too. I guess is what I'm trying to say because we, mm-hmm. we, you know, people like you and like me would go into a, you know an animal shelter and we'd go in thinking, you know, look, I don't do a lot of exercising and I'm gonna, you know, I'm speaking for myself, of course. <laughs> so, and, and and I, you know, this is, you know, this is the kind of pet I need. I need a quiet pet who's a couch potato. And then I go in and whoever I see first that's the suffering the most, you know, the suffering the most that needs to get out of the shelter, you know, I'm like, I'm gonna save you, you know. Uh-huh. And, and it may be just like rambunctious you know, leggy, I need to run five miles a day, you know, <laughs> Dalmatian, which is not the pet that's going to do best in my home. Okay. But, Although that you know, might so turn your lifestyle around. That's right. Well, <laughs> that's what we all hope, right? That's it. <laughs> oh, so, so you're, you're, an opti- you're an optimist. <laughs> <laughs> so you screen for both your lifestyle and for the type of pet you're looking for and everything so that it's a perfect match. Well, that's what we're looking for is, you know, you know, in, in our kitschy way of saying it, a forever home. Yeah. Um, of course, spelled F-U-R. And we, um, <laughs> and we we think that helping people sort of be reasonable about their lifestyle and thinking about that and then helping them sort of distill through hundreds of animals in their local shelter that might, that, that might be potential candidates for their new best friend, you know, lets folks make um, – a choice with their hearts and their minds mm-hmm. as opposed to one or the other. And, I, and it takes both. I mean, you're picking a family member um, who is going to live the rest of their life with you. So it's it's a big decision. And yeah. and, um, and we just think adopters are the coolest people in the world. You know, like, uh, someone said to me once, like, how can you go into the shelters and how can you do this and, you know, think about day after day all the tragedy. And I said, you know, you don't work you know this too because of your experience you don't work in the shelter community very long before you're not seeing the tragedies as much as you're seeing the heroes and the heroines who are mm-hmm. you know who are not and just the people working in the shelters but the adopters who are sure. like who give of themselves you know the big success stories but we're seeing oh, some yeah. some some sad things happening right now um in areas affected by the gulf oil spill and, and i know you have some information about that and I wanted to talk about that a little. What's going on? People are relinquishing their pets in the states affected by the spill? They are. And and we have been, you know, I sound like a broken record because I know that um, everybody is saying the same thing. You know, the, the Gulf states are hit again and on the heels of Katrina, and then the recession, of course, hit the southeast, which was already economically depressed so hard, and now this. Um, you know, and that's not new news for anybody who's who's reading any of the reports. But with animal sheltering and the homeless animals, it's it's you know it's happened these three huge huge sort of events, if you will, in a row are also a triple whammy each time. Because what's happening is that the shelters are telling us that their um, amount of animals being brought to the shelter and being given up 
um, like, like you just mentioned, has really increased. But at the same time, the donations have really decreased. Mm. And, um, you know, most of the organizations that we work with, you know, we work with 12,500 shelters across the U.S., mm-hmm. and most of them rely upon public donations, um, or private donations, I'm sorry. Some get, some get, you know, some public funding, but one shelter we were talking to in the Gulf states said that their private donations were 30% down, and their public funding from the county was 10% down. Wow. So overall, they've had a 40% decrease in their in their budget this year. At the same time, their relinquishments, which was the original question you asked, have mm-hmm. gone up 40%. Well, gosh, I mean, you don't have to be a math whiz to to know that. You That's know, devastating for shelters it's and dev- It's devastating, and and we're losing we're losing um, you know we're losing them, and so people. You know, how do you how do you help a shelter or a rescue group? You know, you bring in volunteers, you bring in foster parents, so that we can get through these tough times. But in the in the Gulf right now, you know, it, it, you know, it's not it's not just a little strip of land where the oil is that's the problem. It's it's that people have stopped traveling, and so you know, all along Florida, revenues are down, and so and, and so, so jobs you know, are being lost, and suddenly people yeah. who were able to care for their pets can't. That's right. And, and so Pathfinder so has a foundation, to... though, doesn't it? Yeah, we do. And and we, you know, we're thinking about this, and we're saying, look, it's not only, it's not only the people who can't care for their pets anymore. It's the fact that there aren't any foster. I mean, there are a lot of foster homes that are stepping up, but there are a lot fewer foster homes that feel like, oh, yeah, things are financially secure, and I'm going to take on the responsibility of a couple more pets, including, you know, beyond my own. Mm-hmm. So foster home, you know, the, the amount of fostering in these sort of tenuous financial times really also plummets, you know. So tell me how the foundation is working to make a difference and and provide some relief. The foundation is doing a few things. One of the things that we're doing is we have um, set aside $150,000 worth of grants to help those organizations that are affected by the oil spill. And we've divided that $150,000 up between two different groups and a um, hundred thousand dollars specifically is being set aside to shelters located within 30 miles of the coastline from Galveston, Texas to Tallahassee, Florida. So again, recognizing that some of these cities, you know, these are not cities where there there are necessarily tar bottles washing up on the shore, mm-hmm. but but they you know they they are still feeling the economic, economic impact. Yeah, absolutely, and and. Um, and the and the extra fifty thousand dollars, we thought, well, gosh, if you know, like, if we're going to solve this problem, you know, is there a, is there a two pronged approach? You know, like, we're going to help give operating funds, but wouldn't the best case scenario would be get some of those pets out of the region, just so that because we know that the adoptions are slowing, also. Right. So you know, our desire isn't to have a ton of shelters waiting for a longer. Pe- I mean, a ton of pets waiting in shelters for a longer period of time. Betsy, you I know, have to interrupt you because we're short on time here. I'm sure you have a lot of this information on your website. Let's give that out so that people can help and get involved. Absolutely. Thank you. Go to PetFinder.com and the PetFinder.com slash foundation. Both of those sites have information on it. And the one thing that I would love to say is is that we've got $50,000 set aside for any shelters around the country who will take on some pets from the Gulf area. Fabulous. This is a difficult time for pets and people, and I can't say enough good things about organizations like PetFinder.com, so please help them out. (laughs) It is time to take our last break of the morning, but when we return, it'll be time for Pet Place news and events, so please stay tuned. 
to Retro 1260. We're back on the Pet Place Radio Show. I'm Marie Hewitt, and it's time for Pet Place News and Events. On Saturday, September 18th, get your motorcycles and helmets ready for the annual Ferret Fun Ride and help our four-legged friends who have to remain anonymous here in California. The registration fee is just $25 per rider, $10 per passenger, and lunch is included. Registration begins at 9.30 a.m. at Tom's Farms Restaurant located at 23900 Temescal Canyon Road in Corona, and the ride will end at Cook's Corner in Tribuco Canyon. Come join the group for a fun ride that will help the California Domestic Ferret Education Alliance's animal welfare and education efforts. All donations are tax deductible. For more information, call 949-241-1189 or 559-805-5962 or visit www.ferreted.org. That's all for me today. Remember, pets need love and a home, too. We'll be back next weekend here on Retro 1260. I'm Marie Hewlett. Please spare new to your pets and have a wonderful day. (laughs) 